Mike, you are a sassy, sassy man. And I love you. <laughs> Welcome to the Tuesday Night Podcast. I'm Alan Girding, and this is the podcast all about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and sometimes even under the gaming table. And with me today, I have a very special guest that needs no introduction, Mike Selenker. How you doing, Mike? I'm okay. I hear you're in an escape room, though. So. I'm trapped inside an escape room. Uh, I have been there for many days. And that is uh, what is going on with our Kickstarter for the Maze of Games Omnibus and Escape Room and Experience. And of course, uh, since it's my escape room, I forgot to uh, figure out how to get out of it. <laughs> my developer, Gabby, and I, we are uh, trapped inside, and um, I'm hoping that the people out there can free us at any minute now. That would be great. We don't have food. We don't have water. You know how it is. Wait, you have no food and water, and you've already been in there a couple of days? That sounds pretty dangerous. Yeah, a week. A little over a week. Yeah. I mean, you know. I'm assuming it wasn't just you and Gabby originally, and now you're down a couple members, and that's what you're sustaining yourself on. Oh, no. No, we're not cannibals. We're not <laughs> monsters yet. Look, 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 look. This is a well-appointed <laughs> escape room. Uber Eats delivers. Oh, okay. And conveniently, you have a whole mic and internet set up right there, oh, too, yeah, yeah, so yeah, we yeah, can yeah. talk. So it works out really well. Of course. But this is an interactive thing you're doing with the Kickstarter, I'm assuming. Yes, so. it's interactive in that we're trapped inside and cannot communicate with anyone. I really liked the Kickstarter video because you even had the secret door where you pound on the bookshelf and the door opens. That's right. Very slick, sir. Very slick. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, see, I don't know exactly when this will air the uh, length of the campaign, but over it, you'll see the uh, various rooms of the Maze of Games escape room, which is tied to our interactive puzzle novel that we made called The Maze of Games, which is a weird-ass thing is what it is. It's, uh, it's a book where the pages are in the wrong order. And, and you have to solve the puzzles in order to get them in the correct order. That's right. That's right. So we went all the way live with it. We went crazy on the escape room. And it's just been a, a really fun ride, except for the whole trapped in an escape room part. I think that's part of the fun, too, at least for us as backers going into it. <laughs> yeah, for everyone but us. Yeah. No, very clever, interactive thing to do. And yeah, it totally is live right now on the release of this episode. You can go on Kickstarter right now, go for the Escape Room Experience, and there you'll see the Maze of Games, Omnibus, and Escape Room. Love very it. clever, very cool. Now, is this through your own company? Yeah, well, uh, we're not a property owner. So uh, we have a company called Epic Team Adventures we've been working with. Epic Team Adventures? Yeah, they make they make really great escape rooms. So Seattle's kind of a that's where I'm calling from uh, from inside an escape room, as I said earlier. Yeah, that's like the mecca of escape rooms, from my understanding. We got a bunch, and so you got to bring your A game out here. the The street is littered with corpses of poorly planned escape rooms. <laughs> that's exactly how it is. Well, I'm from Cleveland, and that's totally different because, no offense, Cleveland, the escape room games have a little bit of evolution to go because the few I went into basically equate to a janitor's closet with a couple of lockboxes in it. So yeah. they've got a way to catch up to Seattle. Are you sure that wasn't a janitor's closet? <laughs> I'm not even joking. It was a two-player <laughs> escape room. 
the lights were off, so you had to do it in the dark. And it was pretty clever. Nice. But I have to admit, I was in this office building, and we both realized, um, this is totally a janitor's closet that has been transformed into a makeshift (laughs) escape room. This is ridiculous. Any port in a storm, man. So, uh... Yeah, we uh, we 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 have a few more out here. So we uh, yeah, we wanted to bring something gorgeous and do it in style. So uh, and it yeah. is indeed gorgeous because I don't want to be too much of a shill, but when I look at these things, they totally have this 1920s aesthetic feel, very detailed, almost yeah. calligraphy type of writing font. It's gorgeous, man, and it, yeah. you can get a whole bunch of stuff. I really am shilling this out for you, but I'm already a backer. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. It's been fun. I mean, uh, normally we make board games and and puzzle books and stuff like that. And, you know, it's a, it's a lot of fun to do, but it's not building something crazy, right? We do like to do big interactive events. We do a lot of things like that. We should party sometime because now twice a year, I'm hired by this castle in Ohio, Ravenwood Castle, to do mm. an event for 50 guests. So they pay a whole bunch of money to stay the entire weekend. And so I have a whole puzzle mystery hidden within the castle while we play all these other games like this one coming up just two weeks from now is Weekend Wolf, where it's an entire weekend of Werewolf, where it's a voting system. So instead of just one game of Werewolf and that's it, it's the entire weekend of Elimination. But you've been doing puzzles since the beginning, and I didn't even realize this because I started this podcast by saying, this is Mike Selinker who needs no introduction because you're entirely prolific. When I read your description on Board Game Geek, you mind if I read it to you really quick? Oh my God, no. Go ahead, fine. (laughs) Mike Selinker is a prolific game designer. He wrote for TSR, was a creative director for Wizards of the Coast, held a leading role with Avalon Hill Games, Inc., and has been the president of the game company Lone Shark Games, which he essentially founded along with James Ernest. He began his game designing career by publishing a Dungeons & Dragons crossword puzzle in Dragon Magazine at the age of 15. His puzzles and game articles are now frequently appearing in Game Magazine, New York Times, and even the Chicago Tribune. He's also noted for being a good poker player among the various game designers who play at trade shows. Did you write this? this? Who wrote this thing? Oh, my. uh, Trust me, I did not write that. (laughs) Um. (laughs) How accurate is it? Is that 100% accurate? It's about 70-ish. I guess I am known for being a good poker player. What about crossword puzzles at age 15? Is that true? I think so. I think I had my first Dungeon Module published when I was either 14 or 15, my first crossword in the, yeah, somewhere in there. Well, what came first, the crossword puzzle or the Dungeon Module? Ah, I mean, I was flinging both of those out. I think the first thing was a crossword puzzle in games. It's hard to tell, right? I mean, I was like, I was 13, right? I was like, I got a check (laughs) for $75. 75. That's like got two digits in it. That went right into my bank account. I had to open the bank account for it to go into my bank account. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have to have your parents come in and sign with you to open oh, the bank account? Oh, yeah. Oh, I made them come in. Let's be clear. I was in charge. I was largely in charge. Dude, you've been bleeding geek for so long now because here's the other thing. That in of itself is kind of geeky because as a 13-year-old, most 13-year-olds are going to say like, oh, I'm going to blow this at the arcade or something like that. I yes. know we're dating ourselves here, but... 
you opened up a bank account and were responsible with those seventy five dollars. I did. Crazy. I did. I mean, that was a year's income for me. <laughs> so good. Gosh, I mean, my first game was something called "So You Want to Be the Pharaoh." It was a game for my middle school history class, and I made a giant scroll game that said Egypt on it. You you rolled four sided dice, but I didn't have four sided dice, so I made up the concept of four sided dice. So you had to like roll the dice and then pick them up and look. At I the remember bottom. this story. Because you've been on the show just twice before, each at the Shuck Show, and you told the story of how you created the four-sided die. I love it, though, because it's so apropos for the Egypt game, because it's a freaking pyramid. This is brilliant, man. So, you know, I mean, I've been doing this for a while, I guess, but the, the point is that you don't just sort of wake up at age, you know, 45 and go, games are cool. I wonder what that's like. You know, that's not a thing. You're doing it your whole life no matter what. It's like, at some point it becomes a career. Look, I mean, mostly my entire life I've been an entertainer. I've been trying to make other people smile. And so... It's working right now, sir. I'm smiling ear to ear. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> you're most welcome. I, you know, I like being on stage. I like being the center of attention. And Do you uh, have a theater background then? No. Um, I mean, I've done, it's weird. I sort of came to this stage stuff uh, through music um, and was really sort of built my confidence that way, but never really did the dramatic stuff. Now I do a lot more stuff front of stage, shall we say. Absolutely. Which is really hard. There's a lot of improv stuff because you and I were both at Shucks, oh my. when we had to do that whole pro wrestling oh, wow. role playing game, that was so nuts. embarrassing. That was nuts. And do you remember the name of the role playing game? Uh, I think it was just World Something Wrestling. I don't know. Uh, Worldwide Wrestling RPG. Yeah. Shut up and sit down. Yeah, that was the weirdest thing. I mean, that was like you, me, the Loading Ready Run folks, Pip. Yep. Uh, obviously, yes. the the SUSD guys, the um, Liz and Scott, my guys, Liz and Skyler, and we just went in uh, with ridiculous gimmicks. Yeah. And I don't know how we triumphed because. We were, Did you all win? Well, I think the funny thing is we threw it right at the end because it wasn't right for the villains to win. There was a situation where it was just down to Pip and me. Oh, that's right. They kept on bringing Pip back yeah. because she was so funny. She was even eliminated, but they brought her back as audience favorite. I was playing... This was Skylar's idea. We were all Mike in the future. Everybody was named Mike. <laughs> we were from the future where all things were Mike. It was based on a P. Lander Z song called So Many Mike, which I encourage everyone to listen to because it will never leave your head. So many Mike, so many Mike, so many Mike, so many Mike, ah, 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 ah. And so for some reason we were the horrible future where there was no individuality and we were all Mike. I remember your costumes. You had silver going yeah. through your leotards and whatnot. Because we were from the future. The future is silver. Right. You had the sci-fi 90s future glasses, yeah, exactly. which aren't future at all. To save the future, you must come from the 90s. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, I mean, like, Matt was a bear and... Oh, no, Matt was a baker. Paul was a bear. I don't know how it happened. I, it was very strange. I sure hope it's out there. And... Uh, and we all just sort of jammed for two hours on stage. 
Yeah, well, I was the first one out, and my story is a nightmare story. If you'll indulge me for a second. Yes, please. Because I remember asking them, hey, I'll do this, but I'm coming right from another event. How prepared do I have to be for this? And they said, oh, it's just improv. You'll have everything you need in front of you. No problem. So I show up and everyone's in freaking costumes. So what I do is I dress up as a character from our show. I hope I did him justice, Captain Chessbeard. Oh, nice, yes. I took my shirt off and I drew on a hairy chest with marker and drew on an eye patch, which Interestingly, people afterwards told me they didn't realize that wasn't an actual eye patch, that it was just makeup that I'd drawn over my eye socket. Anyway, I go out there late because the host comes out and was like, hey, I've been calling you. I didn't know, and I run out there. I don't have my character sheet. Worst possible scenario. Because right away, he says, so what are you all gonna do? And I said, uh, wrestle? <laughs> but which moves are you gonna do? And the person that I was wrestling against had his character sheet, had a list of all the moves. He knew this role-playing game inside and out. So he's rolling his dice and saying, I have a plus three to maneuvering, and therefore I think I'm gonna start with blah, 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 and using all this jargon, I'm lost. I totally felt like someone who lost their homework, showed up, it was test day, and I was naked. It was nice. the most humiliating thing. You were literally naked. Yes, I mean, there's nothing up top. So I was so glad when I got thrown out of the stage right away, and I just basically <laughs> ran out of there. And I remember coming back to stage, seeing you, the friendly face with Skylar, and just telling you right there then, that was one of the worst scenarios I've ever experienced in my life. No, I had no idea what I was doing, but it was so much fun in hindsight. Nobody had any idea. Um, it was it was nuts. Yeah, Shucks is one of those conventions where uh, to say that anything can happen is understating the possibility of anything, because everything is on stage. The whole convention feels like you're constantly on the whole show. Yeah, it's super fun. Uh, we both keep coming back. Uh, you also have a thing where you play an assassin game. Yes, I do. I believe I got you killed, which I feel good about. Yeah, ridiculous. I still play that with Isaac Vega now and Lindsay Road. And you were doing a talk where you were just sharing stories, and yes. this podcast is all about the story. So, Mike, simpatico right there, because I would love to hear any number of stories you're willing to share. I'd be happy to. What do you want to know about? Well, let's go back to your board game geek description, if you oh, will. Oh, God. Why don't we just read my Wikipedia page instead? That's more fun. No, I'm joking. You do have a Wikipedia page, though. Yes, of course I do. But no, please don't read my Wikipedia page. I mean, you already primed me to do so. You're like, oh, please don't. But here's the link. But selling uh, design credits include oh. Pirates of the Spanish Main and Fightball with James Ernest, Axis and Allies Revised Edition with Larry Harris, the Marvel Superheroes Adventure Game, Risk Godstorm, Gloria Mundi, Key Largo, Stonehenge, and Pathfinder Adventure card game. Dude, you have so many credits, but, yeah, but let I me don't go wanna, on. Please, please don't. Uh, he was a creative director for the third edition of Dungeons & Dragons in the Harry Potter trading card game. As a puzzle maker, he created the fictional police officer, Lieutenant Dodumbo, for Gaines World of Puzzles. Selinker oh founded Live Slash Wire with Tim Beach and the Maze of Games, which is on Kickstarter as we talk right now. He also has 
written poker books such as Dealer's Choice, The Complete Handbook of Saturday Night Poker, again with James Ernest. You must like this James guy. I do. And Phil Foglio, I hope I didn't slaughter his name. Folio. And he writes puzzles for the Chicago Tribune, New York Times, Games Magazine, <sighs> and he also authored The Cobalt Guide to Board Game Design. My goodness. Well, those are all true, but hearing it read back to me makes it sound like I basically am stuck in a library. But wait, I am stuck in a library. Damn it. That's the whole thing. (laughs) You're in the escape room right now. Yes. Of the people that walk up to you and say, oh my God, you're Mike Selinka. You made, what's the game they mention most when they come up to you, fan boy, fan girling, fan personing? Weirdly, it's got to be Betrayal at House on the Hill. That comes up more than anything else. Because that's the one that people say, oh my God, that was my first hobby game and stuff like that. It's cool. I really like Betrayal. was a, a great game and we've done some cool stuff with it. It's also my most ridiculous, most random, most broken, most... All of the things I preach against in my, uh, in my game design talks. Design. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's fantastic. Like, I love it. But it's like, if you come to that game first, you must think I just ramble out of bed drunk and start designing board games, right? Right. Because, oh, yeah, no, this thing has uh, three rule books and it has, like, uh, pentagonal characters and stuff like that, right? Like, none of that makes any sense, but it's it's pretty fun. Um, obviously, I did not design that alone. Um, Bruce Glasgow. Uh, was the original designer and I brought it to reality, I guess is the best way to phrase it. Here's my take on Betrayal. Because everything you mentioned that's wrong with it is also which makes it such an unforgettable game. It's one of those beautiful travesties. Yeah. Because when it works, it works so well. And there's so many what the fuck moments that happen in that game. Because basically, it's an engine. It's not just a game. It's an engine where anything can pretty much happen. And so many times when you play that game, the person who knows the least of what the hell's going on or how to play a game ends up being the betrayer. And they get handed right. the manual like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Just read and follow the rules, man. No, so yeah, good. it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it would be a very poor design class, um, but it is certainly a very good case study because it's like you look at it and you're just like, wow, that is a list of things that would probably, if you put them together, not make a very popular game. And it turns out it's pretty popular. Yeah, I, I love it. I love I love being associated with this wrecking ball of a game. It's pretty fun. <laughs> I love it. Let me ask you, uh, how much do you have to do besides obviously designing the first game with Betrayal Legacy? Very little. I spent a little time. Rob Davio and I frequently will go to uh, nice steakhouses and, and sit across from each other and have in-depth talks about things. Of course. For the uninitiated, Rob Davio is the legacy person. So if there's legacy in the title of a game, it's probably Rob attached to that. That's correct. In fact, if your game has the word legacy in the title and you aren't Rob Davio, you shouldn't be doing that in my opinion. It's pretty much to just be called Risk Davio. Yeah, exactly. Like, Davio. I wish he had called them the Davio line. Then you couldn't really fake it, right? Like, I shouldn't right. have called it, I should have called it the Selinker, Adventure Selinker game, right? And then there wouldn't be so many adventure card games. There'd just be a lot of adventure Selinker games. Anyway, Rob and I, before Widow's Walk had one of those, you know, big 
planning conversations and he was involved in that. We had a couple of conversations about Betrayal Legacy, but you don't walk up to Rob Davio and tell him how to design a Legacy game. Right. There's no point to that. So you just know, he ran with it. It was great. I got to play it and discover all the stuff that everybody else got to discover. It was great. So no, I was thrilled that he just took that and ran with it. It's a good game. People are really seeing that the system is quite rich. You know, he's the one that really found the game in a lot of ways. It would never have been published. You know, that story's well known, but I, I feel like Betrayal is just a great thing to be part of the history of. I've gotten a lot of that in my life with like, yeah. Axis and Allies, you know, I didn't come up with Axis and Allies. I would have had to have been five. <laughs> right. But I'm I'm part of a very rich continuum of that. I'm part of Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering. And that's pretty great. Like, just being there and being able to Having advance. your name next to TSR just yeah. automatically gives you so much street cred. Not that you I need any so. more street cred than you already have. Right. No exaggeration. Just today, I haven't played Betrayal Legacy yet. Mm. And a friend with whom I haven't gamed with in a while, Brian Kerrigan. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. I said, hey, uh, why don't we play Betrayal Legacy and schedule some time and we'll just hit it one weekend really hard. And he said, what? Betrayal? That's the game that got me into gaming. Yes. So he's all excited. And that's not the first time I've heard that. Oh, I hear it every, I, I hear it every convention. You know, it got me Liz Spain, who's who's one of my best designers, who you met. Yes. Got me, it was Elisa Teague, who's one of my closest colleagues. That's her favorite game. And by the way, we tested that by putting them as lead designers on Widow's Walk, and they played it like 150 times. And so, you know, is it still your favorite game? Yeah, how about another 150? It still was really great to have people who, you know, this generation of game designers that's kind of grown up on it. It's one of the beautiful things about being a game designer. So my assassin partners, Isaac Vega and Lindsay Rode, Lindsay Rode is a game designer because she loved Dead of Winter, which was mm -hmm. designed by Jonathan Gilmore and Isaac Vega. And so when she came up to Isaac, that was the inspiration. And with you being such an approachable person, it's amazing to see you surrounded by these other designers because I can only imagine the story is almost rinse and repeat where someone comes up and says, oh my goodness. I love this game so much. It got me into gaming. I actually started designing a little bit. And then the conversation grew from there where now they actually feel emboldened by knowing Mike Selinker. And now he's helping me design, blah, 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 etc. The books, right? That's where that really comes in. The Kobold Guide to, to Board Game. How to design books? Yeah. Kobold Guide to Board Game Design, the right. uh, Puzzle Craft, all that is all just sharing stories, failure, and, you know, just getting better at it. I, I just happen to have the skill to put it down in a way that people understand, but it's all other people's stories. And how did you manage to do this? How did you figure this out? That's always the goal is to get people who are trying to be better at something, the tools they need to be better at it. The, the weird thing is, I don't know anybody in this industry who is competitive with each other. I have never met a game designer. It's really true. Yeah, I've never met a game designer who wasn't, oh God, I better not show this to him because he's going to steal it and run with it. Like, that just never happens. Yeah. We're always at conventions. We're always hanging out, playing each other's games, saying, I want to show you this thing. And then that person will say, you know what you should do with this thing? It'll make it better. And then we just go. We keep giving each other credit. It's a great industry. It really is. Anyone that knows you and follows you and has read anything or seen you in an interview or definitely talked to you in person knows that you are one of the most encouraging people in game design. 
Because you even talked about how, oh, you fail, but you pick yourself up again and you keep on going and it's a wonderful process. Well, I appreciate that. The thing is, you don't, you don't always want to fail in public. Like you're going to fail a lot in private, right? <laughs> right. Just accept that you're going to fail in public every now and then, but you want to fail in private a lot more because, uh, you know, you got to get that sort of armor up, right? Because if you make the mistake and people tell you when they're playtesting or when you're, you're at a convention or whatever, and you're like, okay, listen, I got to absorb this and change the thing. Because if you fail in public too much, then you don't get to do it anymore. Right. People stop inviting you. <laughs> right. So the goal, obviously, is to just get better and have a good time. I mean, you, you want to really enjoy what you're doing. It'll come through. And that's that's what's really great. And I think that's true with any field you go into, not just game design. If you're not enjoying yourself, what the hell are you doing? I mean, you know, I like this in your games too, especially. You, you, when you walk into a room, you radiate positive energy. Oh, well, thank you, sir. An absolute truth. Like anybody who's been around you knows that when you're around, everybody sort of flocks to the center and like, oh, cool, Alan's here. It's going to be great. And you made a <laughs> game that essentially was about making that room a reality no matter who was at the center of it with two rooms and a boom right wow that's huge phrase man my ears are freaking red well but it's true because you know it's just like okay everybody get together uh we're you know we're gonna we're gonna do this crazy nonsense idea but it's so many people having so much enjoyment in a small space like i've seen 30 plus what's the biggest game you've ever run of this I've actually run a game of 100. I don't yeah. recommend it. No, that sounds like a lot. But certainly 30 to 40 isn't ridiculous at all. The game is supposed to be capped at 30. That way everyone has an opportunity to interact with one another. Yeah. After 30, we found there's some people like, oh, I didn't even know Joe was playing. Joe's playing? Right, right, right. So a lot of our games are like that too. I mean, we we specialize in really big sort of theatrical games. I founded a, an interactive company a long time ago called Livewire, which did these 100-person games. And, you know, there's just something great about everybody coming together and just throwing themselves into a thing that's preposterous. Yeah. And as long as we sort of keep in mind that that's our job, fundamentally, our job is to let people be preposterous with each other, then the science will take care of itself. The hard work will take care of itself. The failure will take care of itself. All of it will come together as people just enjoying each other and just feeling good. And, you know, as long as it's a reflection of our personality that I think you and I both have, it'll come out in other people and they'll just keep talking about it. Well said. Now you keep on talking about failure. So let's do another story. Yes. When I say failure or flops, what in your personal history comes to mind? You even talked about public failure. Yeah. I, you know, I would say that it is often difficult to fully realize games through the process that uh, we put them through. I would say that we certainly gambled a lot on the game Stonehenge, which was a fantastic game idea of a designer's kit, basically. And, you know, and there's a lot of game designers who bought it. It was never going to be, you know, the next Settlers of Catan, but, we, you know, you, you hope for more. And so I don't think I've had any real true fall-on-your-face failures. You know, obviously, there have been challenges with things that we've done through the Kickstarters. There have been challenges when we've done releases at difficult times and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, I think the key is that we make a lot of stuff 
and people just keep coming back. If we put everything into one basket, we would probably suffer. You know, I, I just really like it when people give us a chance. We're not perfect. Nothing that my company does is guaranteed to be everything we hope it's going to be, but it, it usually has a lot of heart behind it and a lot of hard work. And usually we threw things in there that nobody's ever seen. I think when you meet Mike Selinker, that totally makes sense too. So let me ask you about Lone Shark Games then. Yeah. How did this come about? At what point did you say, hey, James, let's do this? I quit my job. Right? I just walked out of Wizards of the Coast with no plan. Wow. And, you know, that was a big deal. Uh, I loved being the creative director at Wizards. Uh, I thought it was great. It was a lot of fun, but, you know, it was a big company. You know, it was owned by Hasbro. Yeah, it's the Wizards of the Coast. It's yeah. a big deal in our industry. I hit some sort of complex combination of seeing the future and not liking it and not liking the present. And weirdly, my relationship with Wizards is phenomenal. It is one of the best things I have in my life uh, right now. And it's been way better since I left than I was feeling when I was there toward the end. That's an amazing story in of itself right there. That really goes to show the sportsman connection that we talked about previously. I think everybody was like, you know, if this is what you need to do, man, just do it. And uh, at least everybody who was, was cool. There were some people who were not cool. Uh, they're not there anymore. So yeah, um, I walked out without any real thought um, of like what I was going to do. My wife was very supportive. And you know, James was one of my best friends. He he did things that I wanted and I did things that he wanted. I was the sort of big box. I could make a giant game and everybody would rally around it and say, oh my God, this is huge. I would totally want to be in. James would make this indie cred stuff that <laughs> yes. like... Just so, I mean, he works so hard, but just so effortless looking. He would just knock out this beautiful design and you just go, where did that come from? Right? Like my stuff doesn't look effortless. That's a, that's a real truth. Like my stuff right. looks like I spent a lot of time in a lab breaking stuff. And then I finally came out after 30 people put it together and we said, this is what we got. James looks like he woke up and the thing <laughs> you're playing that you love more than anything else, he just came up before breakfast with. And I don't know how he does it, right? Like a game like Tack, which is one of the, I don't know if you oh, play Tack. Yeah. Oh my God. Tack is so brilliant and it is reducible to just a set of four or five rules. And yet there was a ton of game design that went into that. Lords of Vegas, uh, the game, obviously, we've done a bunch of games together, but Lords of Vegas, you know, is kind of the one that I think everybody knows. That one was really James and I riffing for a while, and then he just shows up and says, yeah, what if there was just a lot of dice in this game? And I was like, like, <laughs> like a lot, like a lot, lot? And he was like, yeah, like a lot. And, and then, you know, and then that pushes it over. So yeah, he and I just wanted to be the other person. He wanted the big box stuff, and I just wanted to be, you know... Freeform. Yeah, it's like super cool, right? Here like, is the cherry on the top. What is the name of James's company under which he published most of these games? Cheap-ass games. Cheap-ass games. Yeah. I, got, I have so many cheap-ass games where I'd go to right. the game store, and I would just see them in the white envelope where you had to provide your own pieces for the game, and you right. just were buying the rules. It was so brilliant. And some of them are smooth, like... 
obviously kill Dr. Lucky is probably the one yep. that people think of the most, but good work. Oh yeah. yeah. Buttonman, <laughs> Agora, just on so many good ones. Chief Herman's mm-hmm. holiday pack, all that, all this stuff. Yeah. I mean, he and I just managed to come up with that great fusion. James puts it this way, which is one of the best things anybody's ever said about me. And it's absolutely reflected the other way. He said, the great thing about working with Mike is, is that we both feel like we both do less than half the work. Oh, man, that sounds like a perfect relationship. Because the other person is doing the thing we don't want to, the other one doesn't want to do. I'm the one who fires up the Excel spreadsheet. And it's like, okay, we need 150 of these things, then they all have to be different. I'm going to write 150 of them. And James is like, okay, I'm going to figure out what's wrong with this game at the core. You know, he'll reiterate prototyping over and over again. Anyway, point is, he and I made just a bunch of good games. I mean, we made uh, Pirates of Spanish Main, and we made Blurry Monday and, and, and a bunch of other things. Thornwatch is in the credits for Lone Shark Games. Apocrypha, that's the adventure card game with the horror theme. I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely. We, so, so lo- the company has evolved quite a bit. It's now about... 10 or 11 people, you know, we've made some cool things. We get to make the games we want. We take longer than we want. They get more expensive than we want. We're learning. This company's now been around for over 15 years and it still feels like a startup every day. (laughs) But, you know, it's a cool pack. Like, we roll into a convention and people see us coming. Absolutely. We look like we know what we're doing. And uh, even if that's not true a bunch of the time, we look like it. People seem to say, what do you got? Because it's probably cool. You do have a cool team because I want to talk about Skylar just for a couple of ah, minutes. I want to talk about Skylar too. I got to <laughs> tell you where they are right now. Can I tell you where they are? Yeah, tell me where Skylar's at. For the uninitiated, Skylar Woodies, graphic designer and salesman extraordinaire. He's with Liz Spain, person with whom he's been in your relationship. Liz Spain, designer you previously mentioned. Go on, sir. Okay, so Skylar and Liz, they are at Witcher Camp. As in the video game Witcher? The video game Witcher. They went to Poland. They just left Berlin, and they're on their way to Poland to go to Witcher Camp to be Witchers. (laughs) So anyone who's a fan of the video game knows exactly what that's going to be like. Right. Like, they're going to get giant swords, and there's going to be sorceresses, get training in quests in Poland. And beautiful scenery with amazing medieval-type gorgeous villages. Everybody's hair is going to flow. Even Skylar has no hair. That's my team out there at Witcher Camp. So funny. Because I knew Skylar before I even met you. Of course, I knew of you. Of course. But I met Skylar at KublaCon in San Francisco because he was a part of the original under the table gang because in KublaCon it's in this pyramid hotel with all these skylights and it just fries you when the sun's high high noon sun's beating down and you're just melting and so we actually ended up playing games under the table and so i just met him <laughs> through gaming I, I, I had no idea he was in the industry at all no joke yeah. until i saw his name credited in apocrypha and i was like what the hell dude he's like yeah i work in the industry man yeah. no idea and then he's like yeah, oh yeah. yeah mike selinker blah 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 blah. amazing so that's my skylar story skylar woodies came to our company as i swear to god we're we're making uh, apocrypha and i was like man we need we need some help on the layout and creation side and liz says you mean we need batman i was like yeah we need batman 
And all right, I'll send up the bat signal. <laughs> and swear to God, Skyler comes through the door. And he basically has insinuated himself as the rock of the company. We make sure that if a game needs to come together, Skylar makes it for us. Skylar, yeah. every single thing you see from us, our stuff is beautiful because Liz and Aviva have such great talents and they, they uh, Lisa, they all make beautiful stuff, but Skylar makes it actually fit in the cards. Skylar makes the art actually be on the page. All that layout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's fantastic and he's, he's just the best. They're, it's just a great team to hang with. And these are the two individuals that came out with you as pro wrestlers, as the mics. Oh, yeah, it was great. It was was good stuff. You know, I could surround myself with people who are a lot like me, and we would produce games that are a lot like me. Yeah. But instead, I I prefer to have a very diverse background of people, different life experiences. You all seem to gel so well together, though, because I it yeah. makes sense. When I when I met you and I was like, okay, yeah, this, this loan shark company is top-notch. It seems like a lot of fun. So i envious at what goes on behind the scenes because you do good work. Well, thank you, sir. No problem. We only have time for one last thing, and it's an obligatory thing. Let's do it. I have a sponsor, and we have to shill out the sponsor. You ready, sir? Oh, of course. What do I have to do? Just riff with me. Let's see how it goes. It could crash and burn. As we said, failure is all part of growth. Let's listen to the little sting first. Sponsors, yay! Thank you for sponsoring us. Send us free stuff for money. And we'll talk about your stuff. But only if we like it. Ha ha ha! Wow. Yeah, you're welcome for that. But let me ask what you do for prototypes. How do you do your printing for prototypes? If you have a game you're coming like with Thornwatch or for instance, any of your games, Apocrypha, do you just have a print run? Do you just print it right on a special printer that you have? What do you do? No, 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 no. You don't understand. Our stuff looks good. It shows up correct. And that's all Skylar. Like Skylar is the prototyping master. Our stuff looks good when it hits the table because we want you in the middle of it. We print up beautiful color prototypes. We burn through things. We put a lot of money into it. We want people to know, you know, if you just look at a card and you're like, this is a number two. And you're like, man, I don't want to play a number two. No, you want to play, right? You want to feel like you're looking at it. So Skylar, Skylar grabs art from everywhere and he just makes something gorgeous. I don't recommend this necessarily. You don't have to do it. But if you want But it helps. It feels real good to be playing yes. a game that feels like it's a real game as opposed to a mathematical exercise. I hate to say it. It makes a difference. It sounds so vain. But in yeah. my experience, no joke, I showed some people a game. They thought that was that was kind of shitty. I'm not going to lie. You need to work on this a little bit more. I changed nothing except <laughs> I made quality <laughs> components. And they yeah. said, dude, I love the changes. The game's so great. The theme yeah, fits exactly. so well. I know this story, man. This happens all the time. Like, come on. No, do the work. I mean, it's like, it, it, it doesn't, you don't have to own it. Just, just, just represent it. So if you don't have the money that Lone Shark Games has to put in the prototypes, that's why I use thegamecrafter.com. And that oh, please, is our sponsor. Yeah. And so that is our relationship. Anytime we bring a game that we're prototyping to any convention, if it looks quality, I can guarantee we had it printed through thegamecrafter.com. And that was it. Love it. I love it, I love it. Thanks for being on the show with me, Mike. You are so welcome. I think we need to bring this to a close, unfortunately, but Mike, I got to tell you, you can come back anytime, so feel free to do that. Okay, tomorrow like, hey, then. 
nope, we're doing it tomorrow and the next day and every day. I'll be in your house. I'm all the way in Cleveland, man. If you want to come from Seattle to Cleveland, we got a bed for you. You can crash oh. here for a bit. No joke. I appreciate but it's Cleveland. No, I, I, I like Cleveland, actually. Hey, I love great. Cleveland. It's my hometown. But if you can make it in Cleveland, you can make it anywhere in America. That's really true. That's really true. <laughs> well, thank you for having me on. This has been a, always a blast. Hey, no problem. Promote yourself. If people want to follow you and get to know more information, what should they do? And pitch the Kickstarter one more time. Can do. It's Mike Selinker on Twitter, on Facebook, everywhere. Lone Shark Games, L-O-N-E, Shark Games. Right, uh, like you're a lone shark. We not- are the only, yeah, we are shark and there's only one of us. You got it. Uh, so you can go to LoneSharkGames.com. we got a store there you can go to. Uh, right now, we are running the Maze of Games Omnibus and Escape Room Experience Kickstarter. Uh, you can go to the fine folks at Kickstarter and see that. Maybe give us a nickel or two, and uh, we'll send you some pretty cool puzzle stuff. Yeah, if you just put in the search bar, Maze of Games, it comes right up on Kickstarter. Yep, yep. And we're the Tuesday Night Podcast. If you enjoyed what you're listening to, please give us a review on iTunes. All the stars, if you will, or however many you think we deserve. All of them. (laughs) You can follow us on social media, at PlayTKG. And please send us in your own Nave Tonight submissions, your stories, your comments, your questions. That is podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. And I think with that being said, Mike, is there anything else we need to cover? No, man, this has been great. I'm so happy to have been on it. I'm so glad you came on, and I can't wait to hear more stories from you in another episode. But in the meantime, this episode is... Finished! Land numbers. I be still alive, and I be back. <laughs>